Well, last week, I began to go over the five benefits listed in uh, the answer to question 36 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And I brought eight of these last week, and they were all gone at the end of the service. So I brought some more. There are some more out there. I'd like everyone to have one or two, however, however many you need. And uh, please get those. They're outside in the rack. So the answer to question 36 is, the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, which we touched on last week, peace of conscience, which we'll talk about a little bit today, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace, and perseverance to the end. Now, the second benefit listed, which we enjoy in this life as covenant children, and uh, which flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification, is peace of conscience. Now, how often do you think of that? How often do we thank God for that? I think we take it uh, quite for granted, often. And so how does peace of conscience come from justification, adoption, and sanctification, and why is it a benefit? First of all, justification, as we looked at last week, is God's grace in pardoning our sins. And without the pardoning of our sins, we're guilty, and our conscience knows this. And it's burdened, burdened continually. But the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us free us from this continual guilt and remorse. Then, we are accepted, we're adopted into the family of God as his children, and we're treated as forgiven sons and daughters of the King who can have peace with our Father in Heaven. And then finally, God begins the process of our sanctification, and uh, this is where we hate our sin more and more, and we love righteousness more and more, and uh, which is increasing our peace. Now, all people have a conscience, by God's grace. In Romans 2, 14 and 15, it talks about the work of the law, the moral law, uh, written on our hearts. And uh, our consciences are bearing witness, and our thoughts excuse us or perhaps ex- accuse us. Now, when unbelievers ignore their conscience long enough, 1 Timothy 4, 2 says that their consciences are seared like with a hot iron. And when I look that word up, it, it actually has to do with uh, branding, like being branded. And this searing, this word, is actually the Greek word for cauterize, and that's how you pronounce it. So unbelievers who uh, sin, their sin hardens their consciences so much that their consciences don't work the way they should be, the way they should. And so they are hardened and their consciences are defiled. But as believers, this is not the case. We can have weak consciences maybe. And uh, if you'd like to study what that is, we don't have time, but in 1 Corinthians 8, you could look at that. But Paul uses words like, a clear conscience, or a good conscience, or a pure conscience, or a cleansed conscience. Now, this is a conscience which is not uh, aware of any offense against God or man that hasn't been addressed or or been dealt with. We can, as believers, confess our sins to God, of course, and to each other, and we should do that. James 5.16 says that we should confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we might be healed. And, of course, we should confess our sins to our Father in heaven, uh, individually and corporately, and keep short accounts. Praise God that we're redeemed and we have the Holy Spirit to allow us to do this. In Acts 24, 16, Paul said, I myself always strive to have a clear conscience without offense toward God and man. So this word strive, uh, the the version I memorized uh, many years ago, uh, it said, uh, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward God and toward men. So he took pains, he worked hard to have a clear conscience toward God and toward men. And we need to do the same. So what are the benefits of a clear conscience? 
Well, first of all, in 1 Peter 3, it tells us that if we have a good conscience, when people defile us, or defame us, I should say, I'm sorry, defame us as evildoers, it says in 1 Peter 3, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So they will be ashamed because uh, we are above reproach. And no reproach can be given, and no reproach can be given to the name of Christ. Secondly, we can have peace, and we can have freedom and joy, not a continual burden, because we are growing more and more in righteousness by the grace of God. And we can expend our energy on serving the king, not in defending ourselves or hiding our guilt or uh, condemning ourselves, but we can serve him with all our heart and all our strength. And finally, I believe with a clear conscience, our testimony is very powerful. We speak uh, with power and conviction that can't be refuted. So in the end, a conscience at peace is a great blessing. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If our hearts do not condemn us, uh, we can rejoice. And we know uh, that we have been made right with God. So let's not take this for granted. And the reason we can have any peace at all and, and peace of conscience is that God enables us to repent, praise God, and put our trust in, in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And we are now seeking to please God, not ourselves. I uh, looked up a few quotes, and I thought I would share these. Uh, I thought you might uh, appreciate these. First one was from Jerry Falwell, which I believe most of you know who he is, or I believe he's with the Lord. But apparently he was being interviewed, and some people were on his case about, apparently he had a large car, or a gas, gas guzzler. And this is what he said. I believe that global warming is a myth. So therefore, I have no conscience problems at all, and I'm going to buy a Suburban next time. (laughs) I like that one. Secondly, Ben Franklin said, when he was talking about conscience, he said, a good conscience is a continual Christmas. And I think what he was meaning there, you know how you feel at Christmas time, you know, you enjoy and and, uh, enjoying the fellowship. I believe that's what he was meaning. A good conscience is a continual Christmas. Now, the final one by John Calvin is uh, on the, uh, the more negative side, I suppose. He said, the torture of a bad conscience is the hell of a living soul. The torture of a bad conscience is the hell of a living soul. Now, some of the adults among us who became believers uh, later in life know some, I uh, believe, of the pain and the despair and the burden of a guilty conscience, before God regenerated us. He wants us, brothers and sisters, to live an abundant life, full of the joy of the Lord, and to live powerfully for him, because our hearts and our consciences are at peace. And that quote by Calvin points out how blessed we are as believers to have the possibility of a clear conscience and to be at peace with God. So as we come to the Lord's table, we can be assured that we have been cleansed and forgiven, and we can praise God that our consciences and be at peace because our sin has been atoned for. We can now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and peace with men, at least as much as it is possible with us. Let's pray. Lord God, we do praise you for your work on the cross and that we can now have consciences at peace with you and with men. Lord, thank you for your mercy upon us, for your forgiveness in Christ, and for this communion with you. In the name of the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.